and he was patient with me. He gave me time. He kept saying, you got to learn these lines. got to pick them up. Meanwhile, everybody else is learning their lines and I'm still, you know, not learning my lines. And, uh, and then I was no longer in that role. Oh, wow. <laughs> One day I came in and, and I was not playing that character. And, uh, it was humiliating. It was, it, I was humiliated. And I remember thinking from that point on, I was like, this is, I gotta, if I'm going to do this, I really got to be about it. And uh, it was one of the hardest and most effective lessons I ever learned. James Vincent Meredith is someone you call James Vincent Meredith. He's not a Jim. He's sometimes a James. But pretty much he's James Vincent Meredith. And if he likes you, he will call you Doctor. Even after this interview, I'm still not really sure why. But I gotta say, it's a nice feeling when he does it. James is a Steppenwolf Ensemble member and has been for about 15 years. He's also appeared at numerous other theaters throughout Chicago, including Chicago Shakespeare and The Goodman. He toured for several years with The Book of Mormon, playing the role of Mafala, which he also played on Broadway. Welcome to The Art in Yourself. I'm John Lister, and this is my conversation with James Vincent Meredith. James Vincent Meredith, welcome to The Art in Yourself. How are you doing, my friend? I'm good, John Putnam Lister. <laughs> we'll explain the Putnam part later, but does everyone call you James Vincent Meredith? Um, I, my, my wife doesn't call me James Vincent Meredith. Um <laughs> I think people just call me James, although um, uh, one of my uh, Steppenwolf uh, ensemble friends, uh, Celeste Cooper, always calls me James Vincent Meredith uh, ever since she's met me, and I, I don't know why that is. So there are some people who do, but- um, You're kind of a full name person. It's like it's like I can't talk to Bob Mason without calling him Bob Mason. Yeah. Um, I, I'm trying to think what I call him. I think I just call him, I think I call him Bob Mason too. Yeah. There are some people that you have to use all names that are available. Now know? I assume no one calls you Jim. You're not a Jim. I'm not a Jim. I am, I am definitely not a Jim. Um, yeah, but I, I think people, well, you know, I call people certain things too, though, you know, like, um, and, and I think I get that back. So, I call people who I know or I've known a long time or who I feel really cool with. I call them doctor a lot. Um, uh, and so, yeah, I, I throw that one back at you sometimes because you call me Putnam because we did crucible together and that was my character's name. How long ago was that? Was that 2007? Yeah. Wow. That was, which is what? 14 years ago, Man, almost 15 years ago. That was the first show I did at, Steppenwolf as an ensemble member, as a matter of fact. I know. I've, I've done my research. Wow. Quick question before we get to that. Did you grow up knowing the historical significance of your name? Uh, yes, I did. Because um, the James Meredith uh, is a distant relative of mine. Really? The James yes. Meredith that integrated the University of Mississippi? Yes, indeed. Uh, and uh, and so many other things uh, that, that he did. Um, but I, there are about at least seven, maybe more James Meredith's in our family. Um, and I imagine most of them were named 
after the James Meredith. <laughs> um, and, and I'm certainly one of those. You're not like a, a junior or a, the third because of your middle name, right? No, 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 no. It's just me. But, um, but yeah, all of us have different, you know, middle initials and names and such. Um, and actually, uh, several years ago, I met the James Meredith's son, also James Meredith, um, uh, out West in, uh, San Francisco area where he was living, uh, with his wife and, and two little awesome boys. And, um, so I, it was really great to have a chance to meet him and to, you know, talk story a little bit with him. Um, uh, how did that or, meeting come about? Well, you know, I was doing, um, uh, book of Mormon on tour, uh, and one of the first tour stops that we had was San Francisco. And I can't remember if, um, his wife reached out to my wife or, or how that happened. But eventually we all got together, um, at their place, uh, I think in San Francisco or just outside of San Francisco at the time. And, um, we just had a great night and, uh, that's so cool. Yeah. It was really great to, to see someone, um, <laughs> and I was like, Hey James, Hey James. And no, oh, just calling each other James all night was, was kind of funny. Well, I mean, um, and his father, more than just the University of Mississippi, he was a civil rights activist and and, and an amazing individual. Yes, certainly. So, uh, you know, just being able to talk about that history uh, with him and growing up as the son of, of this civil rights icon um, and, and what that was like. Um, it was a great night. It was a great night. Did you ever feel any sort of responsibility for the name that you have? Um. I think that there is more so for me just the responsibility of growing up as the son of my parents. You know what I mean? And mm. and wanting to to represent them um in a way that is positive and that um you know other family and friends can look at, you know, hopefully with pride and say, you know, that's Albert and Benita's son. You know, I, I think of it, um, you know, James, the James Meredith is, is so beyond the scope of what I would even hope to live up to that. That wasn't really something that I considered. It, it was more of a more to home sort of thing for me. What did Albert and Benita particularly do in raising you that gave you that feeling of, responsibility to represent them in the world. Well, I think, you know, you know, I mean, that's, that's kind of culture too, you know, like the idea that, you know, you know, you grow up in a neighborhood and you've lived in that house for, you know, years and years and people know you as so-and-so's son, you know, and, uh, and you, you have to act like you, you know, have responsibility. You have to act like you, you know, you're, you're not cutting up. You have to act like, um, you know, a responsible kid, you know? And I think that's like you, you, you would, the last thing that anybody would want to hear is that, you know, so-and-so son was acting a fool out on this and this, you know, such and such corner or whatever, you know? And so that's just about, you know, just trying to, um, 
represent your family the best way that that you can. So you grew up in one of those neighborhoods where everyone had their eye on you. Everyone would report back to your parents. Oh, yeah. You know, so, you know, I grew up in Evanston and, um, you know, about, gosh, five minute walk from the high school. And, uh, you know, we lived in that house uh, and my parents still live there. And, you know, you know that so-and-so down the street is your, you know, Boy Scout leader and and you're best friends with this person who's across the street. And then, you know, you got Miss So-and-so who you've known for your whole life who lives down the way. And then you got this person who lives across the street and they got a cool house, but they got, and they got like, you know, eight cars and, you know, so-and-so changes cars, you know, every couple of years. And, you know, I mean, you know, you just, you get to know people on your block, you know, and if you're lucky enough to, to grow up, uh, you know, in an area where you spend, you know, a decade or more, you know, you get to know people and, um, so I got to know all those people and a lot of them came to, you know, my wedding when I got married to, to Kathy. So, you know, it's, it's just kind of, you, you get used to being told what to do by a number of people. <laughs> <laughs> you went to, uh, Evanston Township High School, ETHS. Were yes. you like a, a theater geek there or was that not part of your life? It was, it was a part of my life. I, um, I did a lot of theater at the high school, and I also did a lot of theater at uh, Piven Theater Workshop in Evanston, um, which was uh, and is still is at the Noise Culture Arts Center. And I started taking classes there in seventh grade. And uh, once I got to high school, I did you know theater in the you know the little theater at ETHS, and um, uh, I think the one of my friends back then is head of the theater department now, uh, hmm. at, at ETHS, Tim Herbert, um, really good guy. And, uh, and I remember going to high school with him and, and doing, uh, I think we were in prime of miss Jean Brody together. Sure. My goodness. Yeah. So, um, why don't you knock out a monologue from that right now? <laughs> yeah. You, no, man. <laughs> I I barely remember the plot. <laughs> I know I've, I've only seen the movie. Um, but uh, yeah, so I did uh, a lot of theater there. Everything from you know that little theater for freshman year to to Yamo. I think junior, or I think it was sophomore and senior year. I did Yamo. Yamo is huge. Yeah, I actually have a cousin who is um, who's going to be in it uh, this year. Um, Mordecai, who is, who's, who I'm going to see, I think, I think I'm going to see it maybe opening night or closing night. One of those. For, for those a, who don't know, this is sort of a, a, a talent show or Saturday night live kind of thing that the high school puts on. And it's written um, and acted and uh, the crew and everyone is, is a student. Uh, and there's usually like the head of theater kind of helps advise them and how things go and kind of is a bit of a, I guess, train conductor for them, but, but the students do everything. And it sells out in like five minutes. Yeah. Yeah. I was lucky to get a ticket. Um, my cousin got a a ticket, but, um, for me, but yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing it. I have not seen Yamo in 30 years. So this is going to be pretty crazy. Are you going to see it? 
No, we didn't. We didn't get tickets. We didn't know it was that big a deal. I mean, the kids are just freshmen and sophomore, and and uh, I had no idea that it was as huge as it is. It's pretty big. So yeah, that'll be fun. Why do you think you started doing theater in seventh grade? Did you just hear about Piven Workshop and thought, oh, that could be cool? Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, I took acting classes um, more for fun uh, in junior high at um, King Lab School uh, in uh, junior high. And although I, that might be a K through eight. Oh, it was a K through eight. Ah, I can't remember. Anyway. Yeah. King lab was a K through eight still. Right. So I actually, I went to Lincolnwood for, um, for first through fifth. And then I went to King lab for, for middle school. Uh, but I did, um, you know, different, you know, the chorus and, and different theater classes with Miss Lefkowitz at the time, who was the head of theater, um, who I love dearly. Um, uh, at, at King lab. And she got me to audition for raising in the sun at, uh, Northwestern, which was being directed by, I believe the late Les Hendricks. Um, and that was in 84, five, 84. You got cast in it. I got cast in it. And so, wow. uh, I was, uh, Travis and, um, that was a really great, kind of first time experience with like, you know, what I looked at is like real theater. Um, you know, it's Northwestern. It's, you know, it's, you know, I'm in seventh grade. These, these are <laughs> adults. Uh, I think me. that's kind of where the addiction starts for a lot of kids because you're suddenly in a room with people that are treating you like an adult. They're, yeah. they're swearing around you. They're, they're talking like you're just mm -hmm. one of them and it's just the coolest feeling ever. Mm -hmm. And I think there is, um, there are the extreme highs uh, of of being part of this group that values you and um, and that wonderful applause at the end of the night when you walk out and everyone cheers for you and 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 then there's the extreme low of um, after spending all that time with these people with these actors um, you know becoming you know great friends and, and buddies and, and all of that, uh, that last night happening and then nothing. Mm. And the, the withdrawal that I think every actor, even adult actors get from being with these people more than you're with your, your partner, you know, um, for a few months. And then, um, that, Monday happening, which is the day off. And then Tuesday when you normally would go in for a show and now you have nothing and you don't have nothing because you have your family, but you, you don't have your show family. And that's, uh, that's always a bit of a, a week of grief for me. Do you feel like that got alleviated a little bit when you became part of the Steppenwolf ensemble? Because even when that show closed, you still had that, you still knew you were part of that ensemble. Um, yes and no. Um, you know that you're going to see these actors again. So, so that part is, that's true. You know, you, you're not grieving that, but you are grieving the loss of that community, that group, which will never be the same again. You won't be acting with that group of six or seven, and you may have a higher chance of it if you're in an ensemble, but it won't be that play. It won't be that director. It won't be that crew it won't be it won't be because even though the crews are are 
you know, the backstage crew is, is usually, um, pretty similar from show to show at Steppenwolf, you know, you have interns and you have people who come in and come out and, um, and you develop relationships with those people too. And so, um, there is, there's still a, a sense of grieving of, of that, of the end of that, that unit, that group of people, because even if you're all doing stuff again, it won't be that group. When did you start in Chicago theater? Gosh, so that was, I came up from Champaign where I went to school. I'll say I attended, I didn't graduate. Um, that was 94 and the 95. And I started working in a children's theater uh, called Child's Play Touring Theater. Um, and I did that for three years. Um, and one of the people who I worked with in that was uh, Janet Brooks, who is an awesome, awesome actor um, here in town. And she's just incredible. I've, I, I love her. And, um, and, and so that was my first four way into four, four, what is it? Four way? Four way. Yeah. Better than four way for Ray. Um, <laughs> I don't know about you, Janet, yeah. the four way, but let's talk about that later. <laughs> um, so wait, you, you planted the seed here. You, so I have to ask yeah. you left the university of Illinois, were you a theater major and just became disenchanted and decided to take off? I was fooling around. I had no business doing nothing. I was I you know, you, you go down there, you get that bit of freedom. And I was one of those kids where like, you know, you had the kids who got up and they went to class in, or in the morning. And I was a kid who was like, is it really necessary that oh, I, I go you. to this class at eight in the morning that's on the other side of campus and it's December and I didn't wear like my really winter coat because I thought it was too cool. And I'm not trying to make that <laughs> 15 minute walk to a class that I'm already late for and I don't have a hat on and I'm going to get um, frostbite because winters down in Champaign are colder than you think. So I didn't, you know, I, I attended class down there. I, um, I dropped out after like probably halfway through my sophomore year. Were you a theater major at the time? No, I was, you know, I, undeclared, undeclared, you know, like honestly in that period of time, like every, every black, uh, uh, student who was down in Champaign was trying to major in, engineering or business administration or, uh, pre-law. And so I chose pre-law. Um, and, uh, but I wasn't really, I wasn't really smart enough for it, to be honest with you. I just didn't have, I, I just didn't have that in me. So, um, or you didn't apply yourself. No, I don't think I really had it in me either, to be honest with you. I, I, I'm going to, I, thank you though. You're very I'm giving kind. you the benefit um, of the doubt here. No, I appreciate that. Um, but yeah, so for me, like school was about um, hanging out in the dorm, uh, going down with everybody and watching um, Cosby show and uh, a different world uh, on the big screen TV in the Florida Avenue residence hall um, common area uh, and, and, and just like socializing. Like that's what I did. So you spent more time with Kadeem Hardison than you did with your professors. Exactly. Exactly. For sure. So, um, you know, so I dropped out and I, but I didn't really want to go home because, um, 
again, I was, you know, I kind of flunked out of college. I dropped out and um, I didn't really want to go and live back at home yet and be on that, that street that would suddenly feel when I was younger, more like everybody knew everybody. And when you get older, it's like, you feel like everybody knows what you failed at. Right. And every time you see them, you have to have that conversation. You have to have that conversation. Oh, well, you're back in town. Shouldn't you be down? You know, so, um, so I didn't want to come back home. So I stayed down in Champaign and I uh, worked at, you know, Steak and Shake. I worked at Papa Del's Pizza. Did your parents know that you were out of college or were you sort of doing that? Oh, yeah, yeah. No, no, they knew. (laughs) They they knew. Um, But, uh, you know, it was... It was a tough time because I was just trying to like, just kind of skate through, but skate through where? I don't know. I was just trying to like have a job. I had friends who, you know, we, you know, down in Champaign, you can get like six people in like a big house. And, you know, at the time you'd all be paying like $132 a month. (laughs) So if I could like, you know, get that 132 bucks, you know, I was good for a month, you know? And so, you know, it was that kind of life. You could have been doing that for 30 years. I think we both know people who probably are. Yes. I think there are people who have been doing that for 30 years. So how do you go from that to actually coming back up here and starting a career? What, what made you think, oh crap, I can't be working at Steak and Shake when I'm 60. Well, I was still down there and I was doing theater. I was working at a place called Station Theater. Um, which was just a really a great place for, um, you know, it was a local kind of community sort of theater, uh, which was headed for so long by a great man called Rick Orr, who also owned a florist down there, Orr, um, uh, Rick Orr florist or Orr florist flowers. I can't remember. Anyway, he was the head of this theater and, um, I would kind of get on down there and do occasional shows. I think I did six degrees of separation down Mm. there. I think I did the Scottish play. I did uh, big river. I did, you know, I just kind of, kind of did stuff, you know, here and there. And, and, and that kind of kept the fire for theater kind of burning in me. And I, I thought at some point uh, I, I've got to go North because there's there's theater here and there's and this is great theater but but i feel like i'm playing in like you know a a sandbox and there's a whole there's a whole much bigger sandbox in chicago that i could probably be doing sure and and one of my friends was moving up um friend of uh pea suit was his name pea suit vonga semsteria that's Uh, a great name i know awesome name um he was moving up to Chicago and uh, I said, you know, I, he, he said, you should come up. And so we, we went up there. Um, I think that was October of 94. And um, I got on with some, some gig working at a coffee shop or, or some restaurant, something. Um, and I just tried to figure out what I was going to do next. And so I'd work um, and then I'd go to Urbis Orbis coffee house, sure. which was, you know, in that uh, Wicker Park area. And um, I just like sit there and like write in my journal and talk about what I wanted to do, you know, and, you know, one thing led to another. And eventually I started working at Child's Play Touring Theater with Janet. And um, 
some other good friends of mine. Um, and, uh, and that's kind of what got me into doing it. And I worked there for three years and then. Was that a, a theater uh, that went from to schools or? Yeah. Uh, they would, you know, they, they, they travel around the country, primarily East coast and Southeast, uh, and sometimes as far west as like Texas. Oh, so um, this wasn't just day trips to high schools. This is like a real. No, no. Tour. Well, it was day trips to. It was actually like um, grade school, and so the 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 idea was that kids would write letters or, or write stories to Child's Play, and uh, and we would pick uh, stories and and we'd actually, you know, act out what they wrote, and we'd give it a full production with costumes and. You know, we had these drops that were painted by by artists and uh, by by you know artists in the company, and we traveled back to that school, uh, whether it was in New York or Connecticut or or Florida or wherever, and we'd put together a a trip of you know many different schools that we'd go to, and we'd perform these stories that were written by these kids, and then we had our regular group of of stories that that we did as well. Um, you know, to kind of bookend the work that they did at that school. So it was a, it was a neat chance to travel the country and to kind of see, um, just to see what it was like to be a quote unquote working actor. Now, did you have opportunities to come back here and audition for local or, or Chicago? Not really during that time, because when you're, when you're in that sort of a company, like you're, it's very, uh, you're kind of in a vacuum. You're, you're kind of a bubble. Like you don't really get out to do other stuff. So you, you, your, your company, that company is kind of your life, you know? So, you know, we would get our, our per diem and, you know, so for me kind of still as a young adult, I'm, I'm kind of learning how to manage that stuff and how not to spend, you know, all the per diem that I got at the beginning of the trip and, you know, uh, and have nothing and, you know, for the last three months, months of the tour and borrow against your salary and all this other craziness. So you have to learn how to, how to manage money and how to, you know, to adult. Do you feel like that was sort of the continuation of your degree and, and that's where you got your, I think degree? so. I think so. As a matter of fact, I, 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 I felt that, you know, the longer that I did that, the more I realized when we'd have auditions and, you know, we, as, as company, I guess, members of, of child's play would, would watch other people come in and audition, you know, to be in the company. And, um, you know, they'd have, you know, this degree and that degree and masters in acting and masters of theater from this school or that school. And then they'd come in and, and you'd see that there, there were still tools that were missing. And those, those were things that you're honestly only going to learn by doing like you're, you know, um, there's, I felt that there was like kind of a school learning and then there was like an on the boards learning. Mm -hmm. And I felt like there were two periods of time where I kind of felt like I, I learned that. And, and one was at Piven and one was when I first started working at, um, uh, Chicago Shakespeare, you know, basically playing third soldier from the left. And, and I learned by watching, you know, Linda Kimbrell and, and Greg Vinkler and, you know, Kim, Kim, Kimberly, a bear Gregory and, um, you know, Tim Kane and people like that, like just doing the work. And, and, and I got an education that way too, just watching those guys. So, 
Yeah, certainly. I feel like there's more that you learn um, watching these professionals do their thing than you could probably really ever learn in in a class setting. Again, everyone's path is different, but that seemed to be the case for me. Yeah, it's kind of staggering the few times that I've been a reader for an audition, just how much you learn about auditioning by sitting in on, on auditions. Yeah, yeah. And you see the different processes that people take and, the, and how they take direction and what they come in with... Um, you know, and how, how concrete is what, you know, the choices that they make when they come into the room and are they malleable? Are they willing to, to take direction, even if they may not think it's the right way to go, right. you know? Um, uh, and so, yeah, you do learn quite a bit on the other side of the table. What was your first in Chicago project then that you felt sort of like, okay, I'm here, I'm established, I'm going to start working in the city? Um, gosh. Man, that's a tough one because I, I had so many years where I would do things and I'd be like, wow, okay, I'm at this theater where, you know, a lot of people have come and seen this work and maybe I'll get, this will lead into something else. And then I wouldn't work on anything of note for quite some time. You know, um, I remember the first show that I did, I guess, or the first director who I worked with kind of regularly was, was, um, was Ron OJ. Um, and he did, uh, gosh, he did a lot of work with Onyx Theater Company. And uh, I remember doing uh, East Texas Hot Links. I went in as an understudy for a week or two on that show uh, where I was working with just people who I just really, really, really admired. And uh, I got a chance to kind of sit and watch them cook and learn from them. Um and I remember one of my most embarrassing moments was Day of Absence, which Ron also directed, um, where I got cast. I can't even remember the role I played, but I had my lines were not in. I just did not learn my lines. Oh, I God. just felt like I'd learn them, and I never really learned them. Oh. And um, and and he was patient with me. He gave me time. He kept saying, "You got to learn these lines. Got to pick them up." Meanwhile, everybody else is learning their lines, and I'm still, you know not learning my lines. And, uh, and then I was no longer in that role. Oh, wow. <laughs> One day I came in and, and I was not playing that character. And, uh, it was humiliating. It was, it, I was humiliated. And I remember thinking from that point on, I was like, this is, I gotta, if I'm going to do this, I really got to be about it. And, uh, it was one of the hardest and most effective lessons I ever learned. Hmm. That's interesting because you have always, at least in my limited experience with you come across as being so serious about what you're doing, but you had to kind of get to that point the hard way. Yeah. And I think also for me that, that seriousness comes from frankly, not being so nervous in the first few days of rehearsal that I don't know what I, I, I just stay quiet. I shut down. Mm -hmm. I, um, you know, uh, usually for the first week, and sometimes two weeks of a rehearsal period, like I, and some people, I think I've had people tell me that they're like, oh man, you know, James, you were so focused. You were, you were so locked in, you know, that first couple of days, you know, first week, you know, of rehearsal. And it was like, you were just totally in it. And I was like, yeah, it's cause I was scared. Shit. <laughs> I, I was scared to death. You can I say shitless, feel death. free. So, okay. I was scared shitless because I, I was so concerned that I was going to ask the wrong question or say the wrong thing or, 
or make um, an observation that was obvious to everyone else in the room. And and I'm still that way, be honest with you. Um, I take my time, you know, at the beginning of a process because I really, um, I really want to, to feel that I have something positive and, and, um, you know, thoughtful and useful to contribute to the room. Um, where does that come from? You, you, so you don't have that sense of like, they cast me. So clearly I should be here. You have more of a sense of like, they cast me. Now I have to prove that I belong. Yeah, I think so. I mean, there's kind of this, um, you know, you kind of have, and you know, people say overuse this term, I imagine. Um, but that kind of imposter syndrome, you know, where you're like, gosh, how long is it going to be before they realize that they cast the wrong person? Mm. You know, how long is it going to be before they realize that um, maybe they should have went with this guy and not this guy? You know what I mean? So um, I think that- What point in the process does that go away or does it ever go away? Um, I think it depends on the project, John. You know, um, the first show that we did together, um, Crucible- I say first show. Have we? What have we done since? Have we done anything? No, but it, it, I think that uh, we feel like we have because we see each other from time to time. But I think all we did yeah. was the Crucible. Gosh, it's crazy. Um, particularly in such a small community, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I I remember for that show, I I was feeling that um, from the beginning, like from being cast, um, from from the beautiful um martha levy uh calling me and saying we want you would you like to play john proctor and me saying yeah um yeah I, that sounds great let me um when when can, can i get back to you like in a couple days <laughs> and, and martha saying uh yeah. No yeah, one's sure. ever said that when they've been offered the role of John Proctor before. They're like, sure, let me let me get yeah, yeah, get back to me in a couple yeah. times. <laughs> Try and squeeze me in. Yeah. And so I, I I'll never forget that. And then I read the play because I never read the play. So you didn't know if it was a good role or not. I just never read it. I didn't know. I had no idea. And so I read it and then I was like, um, I couldn't call her back fast enough. And I was, um, and, and, you know, when you, when you come into that spot, like you, I mean, you, I was nervous cause I just joined the company. Right? I was going to say that must've been doubly the case because you had just been given this huge opportunity of becoming a Steppenwolf ensemble member. And they say, here you go. Here's one of the greatest roles in the American canon of theater. Prove yourself. Right. Exactly. And then also, you know, so you, you just joined the company, but you also are like, okay, did they get me in this company because I'm a good actor? Did they, am I in this company because, you know, it, it's, they're, they're trying to, you know, they're trying to right the, the, the wrongs of Chicago theater, you know, for decades by not really having any black people in, in these companies, you know, like, before you, it was just K. Todd Freeman forever. It was K. Todd. So, so you know, now suddenly, you know, we have this press conference, <laughs> you know, at Steppenwolf where it's like, you know, you got me, you got Aura, Alana. Uh, John Hill. John Hill, right? 
and then in addition to I think Kate Arrington joined that year and uh and and Jan though Jan was there for a long time um and so it's like now you have all these people of color in the company right I'm not going to say it was because of that theater so white timeout uh article you know that magazine that came out that year I think that was 2006 with um I think Lisa Tejero and um and and Anish Jetwalani were on the cover of it. Those are two really good people. Amazing, awesome people. And I and I remember thinking, okay, so now that they're making this move, you know, and they're throwing this main role at me, I better step up. Well, I'm not going to lie, and you must have known this as well that for those actors of of my ilk who were you know middle aged white folks in Chicago. There was this this sense that I heard from people of, oh well, you know, look at that. They finally had to get some black people, so they brought them and I wonder if they're any good. Yeah, that's that's exactly it, John. And I remember thinking like through that rehearsal process, through um and that was a weird time for Steppenwolf because um you're dealing with uh August Osage County jumps up, right? That's it's suddenly this huge huge um gigantic firework of a show and yeah we kept losing people in the rehearsal process because they were going to broadway they were all going to broadway so you know you you have this this great role in this great play but it's also like you know the eyes aren't really on that play they're on august yeah we we did feel like the little stepchild that no one was paying attention to we did right and so you know it was just a weird time. Like it was a weird time. And so you're dealing with that. You're dealing with, you know, uh, Austin Pendleton's coming in to play Danforth. Now that Fran is in New York and, you know, the lovely, awesome Rebecca Spence is coming in to play Goody Proctor because Sally is in New York Mm -hmm. and, you know, and it it was, it was just, um, I just kept thinking at, at times I was like, do they, we are on the main stage at Steppenwolf, right? They, I mean, they, they still value, you know, who's mine in the shop. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. Um, it, it felt like we were there, like, just do what you got to do. We'll, we'll be in New York. Yeah. You know, so. It so was, this is it even like 10,000 times more pressure for you. Cause you're starting to feel like I'm the newest ensemble member, but I'm carrying this baby. Yeah. And even if, yeah, I mean, I, I don't want to say that I was that because there were so many, like huge heavy hitters. So I wasn't carrying nothing. I was just kind of like, you know, I, I, I kind of fit in like a puzzle piece and that. And so we were, we were supported in that respect because there were ensembles, there members who had been there for a while. And there were some of us new people who were coming in, who were there. And, you know, it was so great to be with Alana, you know, as Mary Warren, uh, because, you know, she was kind of probably, going through this to a degree as well, you know? Well, I, I will say just, just to set the record straight that even being pulled in 27 different directions, like Anna Shapiro was, I never got the sense from her that she didn't care about us or our project or wasn't focused on it. Oh yeah. I felt like I was, I was supported. I felt like, you know, Anna really kind of guided me. And, and I think that, you know, I'll always many debts that I have to Anna, one of which was she's 
was in that room when when Martha invited me to join the ensemble. Like she was kind of, you know, what my sponsor or whatever you want to call it. Like she was my advocate. Like mm-hmm. she really wanted me in. And um and and I'll I'll never forget that, you know. Um and then for this first show that I was lucky enough to, to have her direct, um she was there, you know, and she and she's dealing with, you know, August, it was just a crazy time for her. And yet she still was there and supported us and protected our right in that rehearsal room to fail massively at times and to succeed sometimes. You said you thought that Alana was probably feeling a lot of the same things you were being a new ensemble member and and being in this huge show. Did you or she or Aura or or John talk about uh, when you got brought into the company, talk about what the perception might be? I don't think we had that conversation, um, like an official time where we kind of got together and talked. I mean, you have to ask them because their memories are much better than mine. Um, cause you're over 50 now. Cause now I'm well, man, dude, just, can I just say I'm 50? I turned 50 in July. I guess I am over 50. <laughs> I'm sorry. 50. You're still 50. Thanks. Thanks, John. Thanks for that. Um, I'm surprised you could work the computer to do this interview, but that's okay. I know this is weird. Now what's this button? Do? <laughs> Disconnect. Um, yeah, I, I, I know that there was, and, and then this is that imposter thing, right? Like, you know, were they feeling any of this? I can't put words into anybody else's mouth, but I know that I was feeling it. Sure. You know what I mean? Like I knew that I know that I was feeling, concerned and worried and you know um you know for for that show and then I'll never forget like you know there are times during that that run where I was really annoyed because I was getting notes from everybody really like, <laughs> yes. and and like not not um like like people who are part of Steppenwolf right so like sometimes you know usually when a show is open, like you kind of move forward and, you know, it's more hands off. The show is given to the actors, so to speak. Right. The stage but, manager may throw you a note here and there just to keep you. Yeah, honest. that's yeah. That, and that is completely different. That's sure. You know that, and you, you welcome those because honestly, like sometimes there's a consistency that lags, you know, when a show is going for a while and you lean on the stage manager for that, but you don't expect people in the main office to give you uh, directions. Right. Well, it's like, you know, I, I remember I get notes from people like, I had to realize that with Steppenwolf, like, because everyone is about, it's, it's, everyone is about the work, mm-hmm. like all, like, and that's a great thing. And that phrase is used so often and it can be trite sometimes, but I think it's definitely true there. Like, and I had to learn that, like, people would be like, yeah, you know, you don't have to get so hot, you know, at the end, you know, you know, cause it is my name and all this, like, you don't have to. You know, you still want to be heard. You still want the diction. You still want all those things, the clarity of it. You know, that guy at the very end of the play, like if you allow him to, he can just kind of devolve into a blothering, like, like screaming, this is my name. This is my, et cetera. Right. But there's a simpleness in those, um, uh, a plainness of those words that doesn't really need any, any artifice, any, any, um, anything extra. Right. You know what I mean? Right. And, um, and so, but when you're trying that hard to, to, to prove that you belong up there, it's easy to fall into that. Sure. Certainly. And so, um, it took me time to kind of 
find my way there. And, and there were times where I was like, man, why is this person talking to me? And there are other times where I was like, you know what? I have to, I have to take that in the spirit that it's given. Mm. And if it, if it comes to me too much for me, and it was on occasion, then I would talk to the stage manager, but, but I kind of realized like, you know, everyone just wants the work to be great. And, 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 and that show was great. And Mm -hmm. I think that there were times where I needed specificity and clarity that I was not giving. And so when I felt, so I, I would take those notes when, you know, sometimes, and sometimes I'd say, you know, fuck you, I'm going to do it this way. Good for you. (laughs) And you're right. That show was great. That show did work. And for you, it was a huge splash. You must've felt some sort of a career shift after that, I would think, because it was so well received. I did, but I also felt that, um, you know, it's kind of like when you've, you've done it and you've had a really great experience on a show and you feel like you've made it and you've earned, earned that bump. Right. And you feel like you belong. Um, look, you, you start, you, you start thinking that you're good. <laughs> and that's a bad thing. That's dangerous. That can be a dangerous thing, you know? And so, um, you know, after that, the, the next show I did, I was also kind of like one of the main people, um, Carter's way that was that spring. And, and that show was a really tough experience. It was a really tough experience. And I think part of that experience was me trying to navigate kind of what I could do or what I thought I could do or was capable of doing now. Um, and part of it was also needing to be humble, you know, um, and remembering the work, you know, um, and also, um, you know, I wasn't under the kind of the, the protective arm of Anna. I was in a new setup with a new experience. And that was, uh, it was a different, it was just a, it was a different show, but I also was acting with like amazing people, right? Like, I, you know, K Todd and Aura and, and Adams. And I mean, it was a, you know, Keith Kupfer, Scott Cummins was in that. Hmm. I mean, it, it was, um, you know, uh, Curtis Jackson was in my band. Like it was a, it was a good, it was a good group, but it, it that was a tough show. And so you kind of have a comeback to earth period, you know, and you, you kind of get humbled a little bit and you, but you remember that, you know, you're never usually as good or as bad as the reviews say, and you just try to go off to the next one. Do you think that those are the most sort of formative experiences? I I know that I've heard you talk about uh, Book of Mormon that you booked, which was an amazing gig, but certainly not something that was easy for you and certainly not something that was necessarily in your wheelhouse. But I'm imagining having gone through the process of, of learning how to do that, you came out the other end thinking, wow, this has really been worthwhile for me. Yeah. You know, um, and that was another one of those with like, like with uh crucible where I was scared shitless. 
how, how does would... how does that even start? I mean, you're 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 uh, uh, considered a, a a stage actor, but uh, an actor that does plays. You don't really do musicals. Who 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 gets the brilliant idea to say, "Hey, this would be perfect for you"? Well, Sam Samuelson, my guy over at uh, Stuart Talent, um, the, the lovely and talented Sam, the Samuelson. lovely and talented, awesome human being. Yeah, um, Sam Samuelson said, "Look, I know you don't do musicals. I know you don't do musicals. I know." I know you don't do musicals, but listen, there's a butt coming. There is this play, this musical, <laughs> uh, that really needs someone with what you have, um, with your energy and with your, your talent and your ability to hold a note. I know you don't like to sing except in karaoke, but they're looking for an actor who can sing rather than a singer who can act. And all, all I'm asking is to try this audition, just go and audition. Now, was this for the, the touring company or the original Broadway? What this was, was this? This was for the touring company, not gotcha. for the original Broadway. Gotcha. So um, I think at this time, Broadway had been going for a while, and the first national was going, and they were doing it. They're, I mean, they were you know, printing money, and so I think they wanted to have uh, a second national company. So did you did you know the show? Had you heard the music? No, no. So I uh, he gave me a soundtrack kind of link, and uh, he gave me the book, and uh, and I got through it, and um, and I couldn't stop laughing. I just, <laughs> I just, it was just all just cracking me up. Like it was really, you know, the idea of of these guys kind of making fun, like of everybody, you mm-hmm. know, and how, you know, everybody was fair game. And so I, I just, I, and then the satirical aspect of it, you know, these people who are in, uh, you know, who are in a country in Africa and, and who are, you know, stereotypically welcoming of these normally would be welcoming of these in lit in, in literature, would be welcoming of these <laughs> white people to come in and and teach them stuff, right? And how these people are like, nah, dude, you, you know, who are you? Who mm-hmm. are you to come in here and tell us what we need to fix and how we're going to do it? The way it probably actually would happen when the history was not written by the white man. Exactly, exactly, right? So, you know, and 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 what happens there and how 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 that story kind of um, finds its way to a, a really neat, um, some would say moving uh, discovery about people. Um, but this is a role that you are definitely required to sing for. Yeah. So, you know, I went in there, I auditioned, I, I did the song. It was fine. I, you know, there was basically one note I had to hit and I hit it, but it wasn't <laughs> like I was really trying to do anything, you know? And it was basically, thank you for, you know, thanks so much for seeing me. That's great. And, um, and then they called me back and, uh, and with a couple of different notes and, and then I did it again for a couple more people in the room here in Chicago or in New York. Yeah. In Chicago. Yeah. Um, and then after that, Sam said, well, they're either going to, you know, you're in the mix. They'll probably either you know, have another audition here or they'll fly you to New York or, or they'll just cast you off the tape that they did in the room, but that's not going to happen because they, they need to, 
you know, they didn't see you in person, usually that sort of thing. And they cast me off the tape. Wow. So I come into, you want to talk about imposter syndrome. So I come into this room for first day of rehearsal in New York City. Mm. This is your first New York show. Yeah. Uh, well, I had done um, Bluest Eye at the Duke. Um, through right, but that was a yeah. show that started in Chicago. Yeah, and I'd done um, uh, Superior Donuts, that which had also started in Chicago. Sure, before. yeah. And so, but this is the first thing I was cast for this show. And, um, and definitely your first musical. Yeah. And so I'm in that room and they say, hey, guys, thanks so much. This is great. Um, we're going to, this morning, we're going to kind of learn the music we'll start there and then we'll get into choreography you know in the afternoon and oh my god just start learning it you know and i'm like okay and so we open the books and they have some music you know and you know um uh real live musicians in the room and we're learning this music and um wait was it real live or was were they was it an audio track i can't remember anyway so we start learning it, but everyone knows it. Like everyone knows it. Everyone knows the, the musical. Like they all know their parts. <laughs> so they're not even looking at the music. They, no, they're looking at the music because they can all read music. Which you probably can't. Oh my God. I can't read music. So, oh. you know, I'm just like, man, this is, <laughs> how did I even think this was even going to work? That like, is a nightmare. What did I think? And, um, you know, we get to the, to lunch break. And uh, and I call Sam. Uh, it was either the first day or the second day. And I called Sam and I was like, Sam, this is not going to work. <laughs> I, look, I can't read music. I, you know, they're learning dance steps. I don't even know what the hell I'm doing. Oh, like, I, I don't even know. I don't know any of this. Like, we didn't have to learn dance steps. They just had me do a couple scenes and sing a song. Mm -hmm. I, now I got to learn, I got to learn all this music for these songs that aren't my song. And I got to, <laughs> I got to do the intro, the overture. And I got to do this. I got to do this top of act two thing. And I got to do, and I got to dance while I'm, man, come on, Sam. <laughs> and he was like, look, just get through that first week. Just get through the first week. So you were ready to pack up and say, this is done. I literally was done. I was like, I I don't even know why I unpacked my bags in the in the place that they put me up. I oh, was like, brutal. okay, so I'm glad I didn't buy anything. <laughs> I, I can just get this in. And um, he said, just get through Sunday. Get through Sunday. And on Monday, your day off, we'll get you set up with. I I have a vocal guy up on the Upper East Side. Uh, he will he will take care of you. It's like, all right, man. So I got through it, feeling horrible, like. Eat, you know, I was standing, I think, at the Ivy or something, some some um, housing place, and eating like uh, sodium heavy Ollie um, Chinese food around a corner, like every <laughs> night, and just like looking at this stuff and just feeling like, man, this is just, I, I just can't believe I did this. How did I screw this up? So, so not living the dream, but living the nightmare. The nightmare. And um, so I got to Sunday. Monday came, and um, and so I. I go to this guy and he literally plinks out every single note that I have to sing, like every note. Cause, cause I told him, I was like, dude, I can't, I can't sing. I, I mean, I can't read. I, I can't. Yeah. And um, so he started giving me stuff to ways to warm up and ways to kind of like massage my voice so that it gets to a certain 
point, you know, by rehearsal and what time I need to get up in order to do that. And Oh, wow. Um, so this is like ground floor up he's going with. Literally ground floor up because I, like I said, like I didn't, I, you know, you're dealing with eight shows a week and right. you're singing a lot and you're dancing a lot. And, and, and traveling like, and sleeping in hotels, you're exhausted. Yeah. And so the, so I'm lucky because the first like seven, well, really eight, nine months of this tour are in Chicago. Oh, wow. So that's great. So I don't have to travel. I don't have to do anything. All I have to do is go and come home and, um, and that's it, you know? Um, but, but, but I still, there's still a lot that goes into that, you know, um, you know, the choreo of it, you know, um, you just have to take care of yourself in a way that you normally wouldn't have to take care of when you're doing, you know, a reg, a straight play. Sure. Um, um, you know, um, it's different than playing a cop in superior donuts. Yes, exactly. So, you know, I had to learn all of that from the ground floor up and then, um, and then, and then we just did it. And I remember that first month, some, I looked at some, somebody did a bootleg or something of the show early on. And I remember watching it online you know, some like Book of Mormon fan club or something on Reddit <laughs> or something. And they did it and they had a, they had a recording of that first Chicago show. And it was the big deal. Cause you know, Ben Platt was in it and um, you know, he had done, you know, pitch perfect and, you know, so he had a lot of fans and, you know, so people were trying to, you know, watch this any way they could. And I, I heard my, my first, <laughs> I heard my song and I was basically rapping my song. Like I wasn't singing the song. I was, I was rapping it. Hey, Rex Harrison did a whole career of talk singing. There's nothing wrong with that. That's literally all I did. I was talk singing the whole time, except for that one note. Right. (laughs) And, um, and I just remember thinking like, how is this? I look back and on it, you know, once I'd been on, on the tour for a while and I was just like, I can't believe they let me get away with that. (laughs) But yeah, it was a chance to really learn, like, to kind of tackle what you fear, like something that I I was sure was going to destroy me. And I actually, I came through it okay. And that, that really, that really boosted me. Did you let yourself be proud of yourself? Yeah. Yeah, I did. Um, that's, that's pretty huge. I feel that every, yeah, I, I felt, I never really felt, um, truly comfortable with it in that three years because I was always worried about vocal stuff. And the cool thing that I realized is when you're doing these musicals, like on a big, big uh, stage sort of uh, company situation, they want the show to go well. They don't want cracked voices. They don't want all that stuff. So Mm -hmm. they're ready for you to take a break. Like if you feel like you need a day off, they're going to give you a day off. And I'm not used to that in Chicago. You know, you know, we do the show. Yeah. Like, if, if your throat is cut wide open, you're still doing that. You're show. going to do the show. You got, you're going to, you're going to figure it out and you'll take care of yourself off stage, but you're going to do that show. And, um, and when you're on these tours and these national things or, or Broadway or whatever, it's like, if you, you're not feeling 100%, I realized watching the other principals, like they will not think twice about taking a day or a week Hmm. and letting their more than capable standby or understudy jump in without feeling guilty, without, without feeling guilty. Yeah. So it was, um, that was a real learning experience and it allowed me to kind of really feel better about kind of taking care of myself. 
Um, it sounds almost more like professional sports. Yeah. I mean, it really is because you, you, uh, it's a well oiled machine, you know, for those companies. You know, they've, I remember the director, um, Casey Nicola, telling me at one point for Mormon saying, look, it's, you, we're, we want you to bring who you are to the show, but also realize that these are really good writers. <laughs> right. Just get out of the way. <laughs> like they, they, they're really, really good. And the music is really good. And the bits and everything that have been working all this time, if you do them, they will work. Mm-hmm. Like you don't really have to add anything. And, um, and so you kind of get used to, you have your, your show, but you also know that this worked for Michael Potts on Broadway. So why isn't it, why, why won't it work for you? Right. Right. <laughs> All you can do is screw it up. Exactly. Now you've done a lot of television, film, voiceovers, theater. This is a pretty trite question, but which one of those do you find the most satisfying? The right answer is... <laughs> Uh, is, is theater because there, there's, there's no substitute for the rehearsal room, right? Like there's no substitute for that time that you spend in there where you're getting to learn more about the people that you're going to be on stage with, that you're going to see for hours every day for X number of months. There's you learn about what people like and what they don't like you learn and you can't rush that. Like it happens over time and, um, and, and you start to get these relationships and, and, and if you're lucky, a friendship or two, if you're lucky, you know, uh, from a show. Um, but, but all of that takes time and then there's no substitution for that applause, you know, um, for or for uh an audience that is leaning forward and you don't hear them but you know they're with you every single step of that scene (laughs) you know um there's no there's nothing on camera that that comes close to that so i kind of jokingly say the right answer because all of that is 100 true and and yet the I'm not going to be that person who says that they don't appreciate being asked what kind of smoothie you want in the morning. (laughs) Right. Like, or what do you, what do you want for breakfast or. And your season on boss probably paid a lot more of your mortgage than most of the shows you've done. Yeah. I mean, it's like you, there's no substitution for that either. You know, the, you don't get, you'll never get paid on, on a stage, what you get paid for a weekly guest star mm-hmm. top or a weekly top of show guest star or a regular recurring top of show guest star or a regular, if you're lucky or, you, you know, like, and, and there are, there's the freedom that that buys that is, is priceless. And I've, I've never been more aware of that than in the last year and a half to two years with Fargo, with the pandemic. Uh, 
And so, you know, Fargo is part of that. Um, and then other things that I've been a part of 61st street is part of that, uh, other, other projects that are on camera where you, where you get this freedom, um, to be with your family, you know, and not worry about cash. Mm. Right. Like I feel like with, with, with stage, you may have a good year, right. But a good year means you're not home. Right. You know, for, for TV, or if you're lucky enough to do a movie or something like, you know, a good year means that you've, you've purchased time. You, you've been able to, you're buying time with your family. Like you're buying time to, to, to not have to be in, in a rehearsal room all the time or on a stage all the time. So, you know, that's a, that's a tough question, you know, like the, the, the high you get, you know, in the, um, you know, the autograph line that, you know, after you do a show on Broadway is crazy. Like, you know, people signing, you know, you know, you're signing programs and you're taking pictures with people and, you know, there's like when I did book of Mormon this last time, it was in 19, uh, summer of 19. I did a six week stint on Broadway, um, filling in for, for their Mafala, uh, the role that I played on tour mm -hmm. and he was taking a leave of absence. And so I was there for like six or eight weeks and I got a chance to experience book of Mormon on Broadway, which was just incredible. Uh, and to experience the, the stage line, you know, the, at the end of the show where you come out and you say goodnight and you go out there and there's all these people and they waited like in some cases a half an hour just to see you. Wow. And, um, and, and, and you spend time and you talk and, and you, you sign and you take pictures and, and, and it's such an easy thing for you to do. And it made that person's week. And what's better than that? Right. You know, so, so that's really incredible, but the, but what the freedom that, that camera work buys you to me is priceless. I never heard it put that way that you're buying time with your family. And that's a kind of a great way to put it. Do, do you think that having your son has changed your perception of your entire career or perception of how you do what you do? Yeah, it has. It has. Um, you know, um, he was born um, in May of my first year with Mormon here in Chicago. And um, like he was part of that tour. Kathy and Evan went on tour with me. Oh, that's fantastic. For so we were on the road for you know, 2 years. Um and I have all these great pictures and video of Evan and Kathy at like different places all over the country and, and So you didn't have to miss those first 2 years. That's incredible. No, that's well that's that was part of the thing. Like I remember saying um like once I got started, I was like, look, I need to figure out 
uh, with the stage manager and with the company manager and all those people, like how that's going to work because that's how I want to go. That's how I want to do this tour. Like mm -hmm. I didn't, I didn't, um, get hired to, to, to be away from my child for his first, you know, two years of his life. Was know? he the only kid on tour? Uh, there were, there was another kid who came <laughs> while we were on tour, uh, 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 that was born, uh, to another, uh, actor and his wife, uh, when we were on tour. And so that was great because Evan was able to kind of occasionally hang with, with her. Um, so that was cool. That is cool. And, and then there was another uh, actress whose who's young daughter, but not as young, was with us on tour. Um, and so that was cool. But also there were, because Evan was around like all the time, you know, people would, you know, babysit him or. Oh, sure. Yeah. You're surrounded by people. You know, if Kathy and I needed an afternoon or, or wanted to have a date night on a Monday night or whatever. So that was really neat. I had no idea that you do that on tour. That's so great. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, you know, when you're casting someone who has to play forties to fifties, um, you know, you kind of have to take that risk that they may have a family. Yeah. Good point. Good point. <laughs> you know, so, um, that was, but those pictures of us being at, you know, we, we were at Dodger stadium. We were at Fenway. We were, you know, uh, you know, in, in Minnesota and California, uh, in, in Anaheim angels. And that's incredible. We just saw all these great uh, Washington nationals. We saw all these great baseball stadiums. Um, because I remember always thinking, because I'm a big baseball fan, I said, if we're in a town and, and it's baseball season. I want to go and see that team play. Mm -hmm. And um, it was just a lot of fun. Did anyone ever force you to sing the national anthem? No. Um, although there was an all play for um, the whole cast of Mormon at Dodger Stadium. And um, I demurred. I stayed <laughs> up. <laughs> I stayed up um, in the stadium with the uh, crew people who came. and. Uh, and and we all just kind of watched them. You could have lip synced it. No, man, I didn't want to be down there. I I I just loved the experience of being at Dodger Stadium as a baseball fan. One of the things that I find interesting about you, and I think it's something that we share, is that neither one of us minds a crowd if there's a fourth wall involved. But once the fourth wall is gone, you can't pay me enough to be in a crowd. Yeah, yeah, I'm. Uh... And I think now more than ever, um, with, with the pandemic, with COVID and, and all of that, like, I am not, I'm not, a, have never been a fan of like, you know, the parties, like the, you know, where you have to, you know, be on, so to speak, mm -hmm. you know, and, um, like, I like smaller groups. Like I like. I tell people like, give me groups of like eight or less <laughs> and I'm all right, you know, but there's a period of time where, you know, once at kind of at the beginning of the pandemic where, I mean, you were a part of these, I'm sure like everyone was a part of these big group zooms, mm -hmm. 
you know, and it, that is just not my thing. Like, no, that just becomes noise. It becomes noise. And, and if you're talking about a, any sort of a weighty topic, then, you know, it, it's, it's, there, there's no room for nuance. There's no room for, um, con real conversation. You're just looking at a bunch of boxes and I, I kind of retired from that early on. So like if people have a, a group of like, you know, eight or six or, you know, smaller, you know, I'm down for that. But I, and even before that, like you're saying, like I've not, I'm, I've never really done well around big groups of people. Do you think that's hurt your career at all? Because so much of this profession is shaking hands and getting to know people and working the room and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's weird. I always think, I think of myself as an introverted extrovert, mm. right? So like, I'll do it if I have to, like I, and, and, and I can do it pretty well. Like I can, I can, I can do that, but I. It costs something. It, it Exactly. That's a great way to say it. It does. And, and so I don't, um, I don't like to, I will, I will not elect to do that. Right. And I feel like, I don't think it's maybe cost me career wise. I don't think, um, you know, I, I like to think that when people meet me and know me, they see like the part of me that they may want to get to know better, you know? Um, and I do much better with that on a smaller scale than I do on a, on a large scale. One more thing and I'll let you go. Why is it that you and I can't do a scene together without laughing? Look, <laughs> you, I I can't do that with many people anyway. Yeah, you're not a rock. I, people think I you're this know. serious, deep, deep no, actor, but no. I, I cannot count the number of times that I was maybe no. sort of eight inches away from, from you looking in your <laughs> eyes and you see that little click where, uh-oh, James is going, James is going, let's get this over with, let's move along. People always say, look at his mouth, man, because I start twitching. <laughs> like once I start twitching, it's like you need to look somewhere else or 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 if you're going to really kill me, you might as well just keep looking at me because it's only a matter of time. I remember doing, um, I, gosh, I've had that happen on a lot of shows. I think Doppelganger was the worst um, because uh, Rain Wilson kind of had this, this, kind of gene of like if i see you about to break i'm gonna break you right <laughs> it's a challenge like if you if you give me any fuel like i'm coming for you <laughs> and so i had broken so many times with him that like on my first entry into that show like he really didn't have to do anything except look at me like maybe a beat longer than normally oh. and then i'd that'd be it like that would be it that is the and worst feeling because you just can't stop yourself. You can't. And so I, I had many an experience. Uh, and I think part of that is there's also like the, you know, there's the stress, the worry that you have when you come on, you know, that energy, that kind of nervous energy. And it sometimes just comes out in the strangest ways. And for me, like on stage, like I've, I've always had this inability to... <laughs> to keep to keep it like if something comes into my head i can't get rid of it yeah 
I can't get rid of it, which is probably why I go up all the time. Well, you're also good at faking it because I remember there were times that I wanted to turn to the audience and say, he's not doing what you think he's doing. He's not even here with us right now. <laughs> what? Come on, man. I'm always there all the time. No, um, I remember Tracy Letts was writing once when we did this. Once upon a time, there, Steppenwolf had this kind of blog thing where they do kind of blogs for shows. Mm-hmm. And um, we need to bring that back. I got to ask somebody about that but it was kind of cool because you could see like what people might write a blog post about what they were feeling in the course of this show or why this show went well or this show didn't go well or um it was really kind of interesting but i remember him writing a post where sometimes he said sometimes all you're thinking about is hot dogs (laughs) like all you're thinking about is dinner all you're thinking about is what you had for dinner or or where you're going to eat after this, or, and your mind is literally like, like we all want to say, Oh, when I'm on that stage, it's, you know, it's, it's a religious experience. (laughs) And it is most of the time. It can be absolutely. But sometimes you're just like, yo man, whatever I ate is killing me. Like (laughs) when, how, how long is that break that I have coming up? Do I have time to go? I probably don't, but I'm going to try. I'm going to try. You know what I should do? I should probably shave in between scenes because I feel this weird stubble. And I wonder if the audience can see the stubble. And I've done that. I've literally shaved in the middle of the sh- of shows. You can ask most people I've been in shows with. Sometimes I'm just like, man, I, I need some energy, man. I need it. I got to shave and I'll shave. So, you know, someone in the audience is thinking, why did that character shave in the middle of the show? I'm telling you, I do that. I do the strangest things. Audiences ask that all the time. They're like, what do you guys do backstage during the show? And they want you to say, well, you know, we're running lines or we're focusing or we're doing exercises. And nine times out of 10, you're like, I was watching the final four on my phone. Yeah. I mean, I remember in a show at CST and we were all watching, um, we were all watching the the White Sox win uh, the World Series on some big, like 200 pound TV out by the loading dock. <laughs> While at the same time listening for our cues and we're all wearing like old time, you know, Shakespeare stuff. And those are the days that you've never cut it that close for an entrance. You're like, I could wait two more lines. Never, never. (laughs) I got to tell you, I I, I really enjoyed chatting with you and I cannot thank you enough for for being a part of this. Thank you. I was going to say James, but I'll say James Vincent Meredith. And I feel the same. This was a blast. John Putnam Lister. Um, (laughs) May we see each other in person one day in a small group. I hope so. Thanks, my friend. All right. James Vincent Meredith, everyone. Thanks for listening. The Art in Yourself is produced at Double Vanity Studios. Cover art by Touchstone Graphic Design. Cover photo by Joe Mazza at Brave Lux. Theme song by JQN Music. If you like this episode, please subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. That's a great way for us to get more exposure. Thanks for listening. I'm John Lister. I'll talk to you later. Later.